0: morning. You know, when you uh, consider the list of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, most of these are things that we really long for. We really pray for, Lord, give me love. Give me peace. Give me joy. I need patience in my life. I need self-control in my life. You know, the characteristic we're going to talk about this morning is not so high on our list. When's the last time you prayed for gentleness? I think every man in this room wants to be considered a gentleman. But when we dissect that, that not every man wants to be considered a gentle man. Gentleness doesn't win any football games. Gentleness doesn't get you ahead in business. Gentleness doesn't get you through traffic at rush hour. You're probably sitting there thinking, "Gentle. You know, I don't want to be that guy whose favorite movie is Bambi meets Thumper. I don't want to be find myself watching Raiders of the Lost Kittens." I knew you might react that way, so I thought I would find a synonym for gentleness that had a little more punch. And so I found that this word is translated another way in the English Bible, and that is the word meekness. It's the same word Jesus used in Matthew 5, 5 when he said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I don't know about you, but that doesn't help me a whole lot. In fact, I looked that word up in Webster's Dictionary, and here's what he says. Meekness means being too submissive, spineless, spiritless. So obviously our world doesn't consider meekness or gentleness to be an attribute. In fact, when Friedrich Nietzsche, the German philosopher, read Jesus' words, Blessed are the meek, he rephrased it this way, Assert yourself, it is the arrogant who take over the earth. And I think that's really the motto of our day. When you see a man in a commercial on TV, he's hairy, he's built like a linebacker, he drives a slick sports car, he walks with a swagger. In life, he grabs for the gusto. With women, he's a conqueror. In business, he's bullish. Even when he's holding a hairdryer, he's cocky and self-confident, he's the masculine model, he's macho, he's tough. The world says, "Blessed are the rough and the tough and the assertive." When George H.W. Bush was inaugurated, he made this statement, "I want America to be a kinder, gentler nation." And I think a lot of people when they heard that chuckled under their breath. And I think people are still chuckling under their breath at the idea of being gentler. But I want to tell you something this morning. Regardless of what the world thinks about gentleness, and regardless of what you may think about gentleness at this point as you sit here this morning, the Spirit of God wants to produce the fruit of gentleness in your life. So the question I want us to address today is, what does a gentle person look like? And to help us understand that, I want to look at four things about gentleness. The first is the explanation of gentleness. What is gentleness? What is meekness? Is Webster right when he says it's spineless? Well, to help us with this, I want to look at the way this word was used in the first century. And I want to give you three examples of the way it was used. One way was this. It was used when a person had a burn. And they took an ointment and they put it on that burn. And that ointment was soothing and took the sting out of the burn. So when you use that of a person, it means somebody who is soothing. Somebody... Who is non abrasive, someone who is calming and easy to be around. Another way that word was used in the first century was of a king who conquered a tyrant, and even though he had the power to act otherwise, he chose to be gracious to that tyrant. A similar way it was used was this, and this is my favorite it was used of a wild horse who had been broken by a trainer. It had the power to rear up and buck, but it didn't do that because it had been broken. I want you to think about that. What happened to that horse? Well, see, that horse didn't have less power. It just had something new. It had gained gentleness. So I want to suggest to you that this is the definition of gentleness or meekness. When used of a person, it's someone who has power under control. It's power under control. And when you think about yourself being gentle, I want you to think about yourself as being a powerful horse who has been broken by the Spirit of God so that you still have power. But it's now under his control. Now, with that definition, I think it alleviates a few misconceptions we have about gentleness. One is this gentleness is not weakness. Gentleness is not the 98 pound weakling who sits on the beach and gets sand kicked in his face. Gentleness is not the Casper milk toast who has to strain to squish a grape. That's not gentleness. In fact, to be gentle doesn't take less power. It actually takes more power. The most powerful man who ever lived was a gentle man. Jesus, who could say a word and calm a storm. Jesus, who could say a word and a battalion of Roman soldiers fell flat on their back. Jesus, who could say a word And a dead man rose from the grave, said this about himself, I am gentle and humble in heart. Jesus was gentle because he was soothing to be around. Jesus was gentle because he had power under control. Now when Peter faced those 600 soldiers in the garden, he decided he was going to be macho man. And so what did he do? He pulled out his sword and he swung it. And Jesus turned to him and said, put up your sword. And then he gently took that man's ear and he put it back on. And then he turned to Peter and he said, don't you know that I could call 12 legions of angels if I wanted to? A legion is like 5,000. So if my math is right, that's like I could call 60,000 angels right now. In other words, Jesus is saying to Peter, I'm not so weak that I need you to bail me out. What Jesus was doing was operating with power under control. He was operating in gentleness. He did the same thing at his trial. Imagine the one who would later say in Matthew 28, 18, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. That same one was mocked and abused and spit on. He had his beard pulled out. He was falsely accused. He was beaten. And how did he respond to that? Was he like the Incredible Hulk? No. The Bible tells us He was like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears. Why was Jesus silent? Why didn't Jesus fight back? He was the king who had the power to act otherwise but chose to be gracious to you and to me. You see, his gentleness, his meekness was not evidence of weakness. It was evidence of strength. It was power under control. I don't know how you think about Jesus. Jesus was not a 98-pound weakling, either outside or inside. You look at his life. Matthew chapter 23, he looked the religious leaders in the eyes, and he said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. In John chapter 2, he made a whip and ran the money changers out of the temple. When he stood before Pilate, Pilate tried to intimidate him in John chapter 19 by saying, Don't you know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to let you go? And Jesus turned to him and said, You would have no authority if I didn't give it to you. See, meekness is not weakness Jesus wasn't meek because he had no other option he was exhibiting power under control you say well Dan I have a tough time relating to Jesus because he's God in the flesh can you give me another example Well, let me give you one I'll give you the example of the meekest man in the Old Testament you know who it was? Numbers 12:3 says the man Moses was very meek more than any man who was on the face of the earth. Moses was the gentlest guy on the face of the earth in his day. Now, how do we see his gentleness? If you go back and read that verse, it's in the context of his own family members, his brother and sister criticizing him, and he remained silent. That's gentleness. Now, did Moses do that because he was a wimp? No. In fact, if you look at Moses' life, before God broke him, he killed an Egyptian in Exodus chapter 2. After God broke him, he's the one who stood before the pharaoh of Egypt with just a stick in one hand and a stammering tongue in his mouth. And said, Let my people go. If you want to see how tough he was, you just have to read Exodus 32. When Moses came down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments, he got to the bottom of the mountain and he saw the children of Israel had made a golden calf and they were dancing around it naked and having an orgy. And Moses took the Ten Commandments and he threw them to the ground. In fact, let me read you how he reacted. It says, And Moses' anger burned, and he threw the tablets from his hands and shattered them at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf which they had made, and he burned it with fire, ground it to powder, scattered it over the surface of the water, and made the sons of Israel drink it. Now I don't think anybody was calling him a wimp that day. You say, well, Dan, why did Moses react with force on some occasions and with gentleness on other occasions? Well, I think if you will examine the scriptures, you'll come to this conclusion. And it's a very important conclusion. When there were attacks made against Moses personally, he was gentle and meek. When there were attacks against God he threw down the Ten Commandments. We say the, see the same in the life of the Lord Jesus. When he was attacked personally, he was gentle. When they turned his father's house into a house of thieves, he made a whip. What I want you to see this morning is that gentleness is not weakness. Second misconception. Gentleness is not natural I don't know if you've noticed this, but meekness doesn't come naturally for us. Gentleness doesn't come naturally. It's not natural to be soothing. It's not natural to have your power under control. It's not natural to endure ill treatment from other people without retaliating. What's natural is just the opposite. What's natural is to demand our rights. What comes natural is that we put ourselves first And we say, nobody messes with me. Robert Ringer wrote a book several years ago. It rose to the top of the New York Times bestseller list. It was entitled Looking Out for Number One. He followed it with a second book that sold more copies than the first. It was titled Winning Through Intimidation. And I think those two books together really summarize the attitude of our day. Look out for yourself and win at all costs. And unfortunately, many Christians have bought into that attitude. And I think a lot of Christians are walking around today, and I would call them Frank Sinatra Christians. They intend to strut into heaven singing, I did it my way. Well, guess what? When you do it your way, what comes natural, is to push and claw and fight your way to the top. I want to tell you this morning, gentleness is not natural. And that's why the Bible tells us it's the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit of God is the trainer. The Spirit of God is the power in my life who breaks me and brings me under control. Secondly, I want us to see the example of gentleness. And not surprisingly, the example of gentleness is God. If you have your Bibles, you can look in Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40 is a chapter all about the power of God. It says in this chapter that the nations are like a drop from a bucket to him, the nations are like a speck of dust on the scales. In fact, it says the nations are like nothing before God. Things that we consider great are nothing before God. He is so powerful. But then right in the middle of this chapter about the power of God, he says this in verse 11. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing Use. And I don't know if there's any more gentle picture than a shepherd carrying his lambs close to his heart. And this verse tells us that's the way God treats you and me. And what I love is if you have your Bible open, look at verse 10. And I want you to circle this word. It says, With his arm he rules. And then verse 11. In his arm, he will gather the lambs. The same arm that powerfully rules the universe gently gathers his lambs. See, gentleness is not weakness. It is power under control. And God is our example. Maybe you can relate to Elijah. Elijah had his best day of his life one day and his worst day the very next day. You ever have that happen? You hit a high and think life is wonderful and then you crash. He had his best experience. He, he defeated the 450 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel and he was thinking life is good. In fact, the Bible says he got to take them down in the valley and kill them, slay them. That's a preacher's dream. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. I mean, he got to get his hands dirty, He, he slew these guys. And then the next thing we read, he's running off, fleeing off into the wilderness, running from Jezebel. He killed 450 men and ran from a woman, that's another sermon. But he flees into the wilderness and he turns in his resignation to God. I quit. In fact, he tells God, I want to die. And then he waits for God's response. And while he's waiting for God's response, there's a great wind that breaks the rocks into pieces. And there's an earthquake that shakes the land. And there's a huge fire but God is not in any of those displays of power. Instead, God came to Elijah in a gentle, blowing breeze. Isn't that good? Elijah expected that God to come with a closed fist. Instead, he came with a gentle hand. God is our example of gentleness. And then when you come to the New Testament, Jesus is our example. In the passage I alluded to earlier in Matthew chapter 11, if you haven't marked it, you need to mark it in your Bible. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me For I am gentle and humble in heart, and I will give you rest for your souls. Jesus is the gentle shepherd who calls out to everybody who is weary and burdened down to come to him, and he will give you rest. And then if you're in Matthew 11, I want to show you a verse in the next chapter. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 20, we read a quote from Isaiah 42 about Jesus. Notice what it says. A battered reed he will not break off, and a smoldering wick he will not put out. Now what do you do when you're walking through the woods and you see a branch that's kind of bent over and broken? You snap it off, right? What do you do when you see a wick that is drowning in wax. You blow it out. This verse says Jesus didn't do that. Now, I don't take this literally. I don't think Jesus walked through life and never broke a limb off. He talked about pruning trees. He knew what that was about. It's not talking literally. What is it talking about when it says he never broke off a limb? He never blew out a candle that was flickering what does it mean? Well, look at the next verse. Verse 21. And in his name, the Gentiles, or the nations, will hope. So that tell us? The battered reed and the smoldering wick is referring to people who need hope. I don't know if you noticed, but we live in a world where people need hope. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're bruised and you're beaten emotionally, physically, socially, spiritually. Maybe you're here this morning and you identify with that idea of being a smoldering wick. You feel like you're gasping for air. You're weak. You're you're flickering. You feel like you're about to go out in a puff of smoke. Well, Jesus is still saying, come unto me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and I will give you rest. If you need an example of gentleness, just look to the Lord Jesus. When he met the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, she was a reed bruised and broken by sin. He gently brought her to conviction and brought her to himself. When they brought the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8, she was a flickering wick about to go out. In fact, the Jews already had the stones in their hands to kill her. Jesus gently forgave her and told her to go and sin no more. When parents brought their young children to Jesus, In Mark chapter 10, the disciples interrupted and said, let's just brush these fragile reeds out of the way. And Jesus went and picked them up and blessed them. I love Revelation chapter 5, where John is looking to see Jesus, and he expects to see the lion. Instead of the lion... He sees the lamb. Jesus is our example of gentleness. Which brings us to our third point. The expression of gentleness. When should other people see gentleness expressed in your life? Well, the Bible underlines four specific occasions, and I want you to note those this morning. Number one is when someone has done you wrong. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12 says, Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Why do I need a heart of gentleness? Listen to the next verse. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against someone. I need a heart of gentleness to put up with those who are hard to put up with. I need a heart of gentleness to forgive those that I have a complaint against. You know, people used to take drives to relax. Now they take drives and they get road rage. I I read one poll that 38% of people admitted that they had made an obscene gesture to another driver on the highway. That was taken in California. I'm sure that doesn't happen in southeast Missouri. We, get ro- we go out and drive. We don't even know these people. And we get upset at these people. There's a lot of anger inside. We-, we draw lines and we complain and we have a gripe against somebody else. How do we respond? When someone does me wrong, when I'm weak, I return the wrong. When I'm meek, I take the wrong. Think about Jesus in First Peter two twenty three. It says, "And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously." Second time, you need gentleness to show up in your life is when someone disagrees with you. 2 Timothy 2.24 says, And the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. When you have to correct someone who is wrong, you need gentleness in your life. I mean, Jesus practiced this throughout his ministry. The disciples were... Always doing something wrong. I mean, every time he turned his back, they were fighting about who was the greatest. James and John had their mother come to him and asked to sit in the prime seats in the kingdom. In Luke chapter 9, I always laugh when I read this, in verse 54. A town in Samaria wouldn't let them pass through, and so James and John came to Jesus and said, Do you want us to call down fire from heaven to burn it up? They were always doing something wrong. And most of the time they were disagreeing with Jesus, usually behind his back, but sometimes even to his face. Because you remember that one occasion when Peter took him aside and rebuked him. So Jesus was always correcting the disciples, but when you read about how he corrected them, you will see that he never corrected them with force. He always corrected them with gentleness. You see, the weak person argues. The meek person instructs. I'll give you a third area. When someone has fallen into sin, Galatians 6.1 says, If a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. When your brother falls into sin, what do you do? Someone has said that the church is the only army that shoots its wounded. Shoots its wounded. That's not what we're called to do. We are called to restore them. And the characteristic it takes to restore them is a spirit of gentleness. When someone disappoints you, do you come at them like Hurricane Isaac Or do you come at them with a spirit of gentleness? Jesus referred to this in Matthew chapter 7 as taking the speck out of your brother's eye. That's delicate surgery. When you take something out of somebody's eye and it requires gentleness. When your brother falls into sin, the weak person judges him. The weak person condemns him. The weak person turns his back on him. The meek person restores him. And then a fourth time is when someone is lost and needs Jesus. We read 1 Peter 3.15 to you. It says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with Gentleness. How do you defend your faith? Are you rough and tough and cold and hard and judgmental, or are you gentle? You see, we have to keep in mind that our job is not to win arguments, our job is to win souls. And that's done with gentleness. I love the attitude of Jesus when he approached Jerusalem in Luke chapter 19. It says, when he saw the city, he wept over it. Why was he weeping? Was it because he knew that within a week he was going to be dead? No. He was weeping because he looked at the city and he wanted to gather them like a hen gathers her chicks, but they were unwilling. Jesus wept over the lost condition of the people in the city of Jerusalem. Let me ask you a personal question this morning. When's the last time you literally wept over a lost person? When's the last time your pillow was wet because of your tears for the people of the city of Cape, Jackson, Marble Hill, Scott City, your neighbors, your friends, your schoolmates. The Bible says in Psalm 126, 5, those who sow in tears shall reap in joyful shouting. If you want to reap with joy, you have to sow with tears. You have to sow in brokenness. You have to sow in gentleness. So, when someone has done you wrong, when someone disagrees with you, when someone has fallen into sin, when someone is lost and needs Jesus, we need to show up with gentleness, meekness, brokenness. Which brings me to the last point the effect of gentleness. You know, most of us have the idea that gentleness is not very effective. The gentleness won't get you very far. Most of us agree with Leo DeRocher when he said, nice guys finish last. I want to tell you something this morning. The Bible says that gentleness will get you much farther than brute force. In fact, in God's economy, gentleness is powerful. That's why when the king of kings rides into Jerusalem in Matthew 21, what does he look like? The king of kings looks like this in Matthew 21, 5. He is gentle and mounted on a donkey. If the king of kings is gentle, then what should his servants look like? You know, in God's economy, Everything is reversed. The last will be first. The humble will be exalted. The meek will reign. That's why Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So if you want to get ahead in God's kingdom, you don't do it by being assertive. You do it by being gentle. Gentleness is effective. That's why David could say in Psalm 1835, Your gentleness makes me great. Now, how is gentleness effective? Well, first of all, it's effective on others. That's why when Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 1, they had all kinds of problems in their church. You would expect him to be yelling at them the whole time. Here's what he says in that verse. I urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I urge you to get your life straightened out. What's the basis of the urging? It's the meekness and gentleness of Jesus. Why? Because that's far more effective than anything else. John Wooden was the greatest basketball coach of all time. He won 11 national championships in 13 seasons. He won seven in a row. At one point, he won 88 straight games. He wrote a book simply entitled Wooden. And I want to read you the first few lines of the book. He says, My dad, Joshua Wooden, was a strong man in one sense, but also a gentle man. While he could lift heavy things men half his age couldn't lift, He would also read poetry to us each night after a day working in the fields, raising corn, hay, wheat, tomatoes, and watermelons. He had a team of mules named Jack and Kate on the farm. Kate would often get stubborn and lie down on me while I was plowing. I couldn't get her up no matter how roughly I treated her. Dad would see my predicament and walk across the field until he was close enough to speak to her. And then he would just simply say, Kate. Then she would get up and start working again. He never touched her in anger. And then he added this. It took me a long time to understand that even a stubborn mule responds to gentleness. And what is true of mules is true of people. Gentleness is effective. If you're here this morning and you're a wife and your husband is as stubborn as a mule, you know what's most effective on him? 1 Peter chapter 3 says you can win him over with a gentle and quiet spirit. Now I know you want to use the two before on him and that works temporarily. But if you want to win him over spiritually, the Bible says the most effective way to do that is with a spirit of gentleness. One of Aesop's fables goes like this. It says the wind and the sun were arguing about who was the greatest. And so they decided that They saw a man walking down the street with a big coat on and they said, whoever can get that guy to take his coat off the quickest is the most powerful. So the sun went behind a cloud and the wind began to blow and blow and blow on this man. And the harder the wind blew, the more he held his coat around himself until the wind finally gave up. And then the sun came from behind the cloud and just smiled on that man. And pretty soon perspiration formed on his brow and he took his coat off, hung it over his arm, and walked down the street. And Aesop said, the son knew the secret. Warmth and gentleness and a friendly touch are always stronger than force and fury. That's the effect of gentleness on others. But let me close by talking about the effect of gentleness on me and on you. James chapter 1 and verse 21 says therefore putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in meekness receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls you know what that verse tells me you can't get into heaven without meekness you can't hear God's voice without a spirit of meekness. Just as a farmer's seed cannot penetrate the ground unless it's plowed and broken, the seed of the gospel will not penetrate a heart unless it's broken and humble and gentle. Chuck Colson was a personal advisor of Richard Nixon. He was one of the most powerful men and the most powerful government in the world. As a former Marine captain, he earned the title the White House Hatchet Man. He looks back and refers to himself as the toughest of the Nixon tough guys. But I want you to listen to his account of an evening that changed his life forever. He says, one gray overcast evening, I sought out my friend Tom Phillips. He read aloud to me the chapter on pride from C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. That one chapter ripped through the protective armor in which I had unknowingly encased myself for the past 42 years. Of course I had not known God. How could I? I had been too concerned with myself. I had done this and that. I had achieved. I had succeeded. But in those brief moments while Tom read, I saw myself as I had never done before. And the picture was ugly. Would you like to pray together, Chuck? Tom asked, closing his Bible. Startled, I emerged from my deep thoughts. Sure, I I guess I would, fine. I had never prayed with anyone before except when someone said grace before a meal. Tom bowed his head. Lord, he began. We pray for Chuck and his family, that you would open his heart and show him the light and the way. As Tom prayed, something began to flow into me, a kind of energy. Then came a wave of emotion which nearly brought tears. I fought them back. It sounded as if Tom were speaking directly and personally to God, almost as if he was sitting beside us. Later, outside in the darkness, the iron grip I'd kept upon my emotions began to relax. Tears welled up in my eyes as I groped for the right key to start my car. Angrily, I brushed them away and started the engine. As I drove out of Tom's Drive, the tears flowed uncontrollably. I was crying so hard, I pulled to the side of the road. I forgot about machismo. I forgot about pretenses. I forgot about fears of being weak. And as I did, I began to experience a wonderful feeling of release. Then came the strange sensation that water was not only running down my cheeks, but surging through my whole body as well, cleansing and cooling as it went. They weren't tears of sadness and remorse, nor joy, but tears of relief. And then I prayed my first real prayer. God, I don't know how to find you, but I'm going to try. I'm not much the way I am now, but I want to give myself to you. I didn't know how to say more, so I just repeated over and over the words, take me, take me. Just like Chuck Colson, I can tell you today that if you will give yourself just the way you are to the Lord Jesus with a spirit of meekness, gentleness, brokenness, you too can be born again. If you're here as a believer, but you can't say that you're walking in the Spirit, You would have to say you're doing life your way. And you need to be broken. Then I would say to you, cry out to Jesus. Cry out to Jesus and say, I'm not much the way I am. But I want to give myself to you. Take me. Take me. Take me. If you will, I can tell you this. He will not come out of heaven with a flying fist. He will not subdue you with his mighty arm of power. He will not pounce on you like a lion. He will not snap you off like a bruised reed. He will not snuff you out like a smoldering wick. He will come to you like a gentle breeze. He will gather you the way a mother hen gathers her chicks. He will gather you gently in an arm in his arms like a shepherd. And he will be the lamb standing as if slain. And he will give you rest. As we're singing closing, closing, I'm going to challenge you to call out to Jesus today in brokenness and let him show up in gentleness.